Psalm 69, verses 30, 31, and 32. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek the Lord, let your hearts revive. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. It is a mark of all the true children of God that they long to magnify God, the God of their salvation. Psalm 40. May all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. May all who love thy salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Psalm 34. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This was the heart cry of every Old Testament saint and I think that it's the heart cry and the longing of every Christian in the New Testament because Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. That is, do everything in such a way that God will be magnified. If you've met the Son of God and you have closed with Him in faith, then... Will not your heart say with Paul, It is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not at all be ashamed, but with all boldness, now as always, Christ might be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Therefore, I say it is the mark of all true children of God that they long, that God be magnified in their lives. And if you don't feel that longing, examine yourself this morning. And my prayer is that it'll happen. Shall we pray? Gracious God, all-knowing God, discerner of the hearts, before whom right now every one of us is laid bare, we can conceal our heart from those next to us in the pew, but you see straight through. And we confess, first of all, that our longing is weak. And for some here, it may not exist at all because they are outside the family. And therefore, I pray earnestly, God, and I ask that the people here who know you pray with me, that you will speak and awaken that longing in our hearts. Beget saving faith that loves to glorify you. I am helpless, Father, before the stone wall of a hardened heart. But you have promised, you have promised that you will take out of us the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh, that you will make hardness into softness, insensitivity into sensitivity, 
And I pray that you will do it even now as I speak so that when we leave this place, everybody will find themselves from a meek and humble and longing heart thanking you and so magnifying your name. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. David said, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Magnify can have two meanings. One is you make something that's small look bigger than it really is. We do that with a microscope or with a magnifying glass. There's another meaning for magnify, however, and that is to make something that is big but may look small appear to be as big as it really is. That's what we do with our telescopes, isn't it? Our telescopes help us begin to see the bigness of the universe that once upon a time spilled over from the excess of God's glory. So there are two kinds of magnifying. There is microscope magnifying and there is telescope magnifying. One makes the small thing look bigger than it is and one makes the big thing look as big as it really is. And when David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, he does not mean I will make the little God look bigger than he really is. He means I will make the big God begin to appear in my life as big as he really is. We are called not to be microscopes, but telescopes of God's glory. Or to change the image, we are not called to be con men who magnify their product out of all proportion to reality, even when they know that the competitor's product is superior. Nobody and nothing is superior to God. And therefore, those who love God are called to magnify God in the sense of helping him simply become seen for the bigness that he really is. The whole duty of man can be summed up in one sentence. Feel, think, and act in such a way that the greatness of God will be visible in you. Be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of God's glory. Now, that God is glorious, that he is great, should be obvious to everybody. Because Paul said in Romans 1, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So men are without excuse, for although they know God, they do not glorify, magnify, or thank him. It ought to be obvious, but it isn't. And the reason it isn't is because of our sinful insensitivity and forgetfulness. Many of God's greatest attributes and his most glorious deeds go in one ear and out the other without 
causing the slightest ripple in the emotions of our heart. Seeing we do not see and hearing we do not hear, just like the ancient fat-hearted Israelites of old in Isaiah 6. And when our hearts are in such a condition, here's what we need to do. And you may want to whisper it right now. Ephesians 1. Oh God, open the eyes of my heart that I might know, really know, and feel what is the hope to which you've called me. What is the infinite wealth of the inheritance of the saints? And what is the greatness of the power that is available to us who believe? Ephesians 1.18 But even if by the grace of God the scales are lifted off of our eyes and we behold and feel how great and good God really is, there's still a problem. We're so forgetful. We straightway forget what we've seen. Have you ever had, I know you have, the kind of experience that I've had You ask God for something, and he meets a need. He does exceedingly abundant, beyond what you are able to ask or think. And you are so filled with gratitude that you leap up, and you shout, and you hug your wife, or hug somebody. And you say, God, if I ever doubt you again, I can't understand it. Why should I ever despair again after this sign of your love that you would ever leave me? And then, one week later, it happens. And there we are, discouraged, downcast, wondering where his mercy is. Why? We forget. We forget the mercies of the Lord shown in our own experience, not to mention the ones in Scripture. And so David, who had this same problem, preaches to himself, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Soul, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Soul, don't forget. You just see him in his chamber arguing with himself. How could you forget? Soul, don't forget. Instead, soul, be like Asaph in Psalm 77. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember His works of old. I will meditate on his mighty work and muse on thy mighty deeds. Thy way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? We are called to be telescopes. People who make the greatness of God visible for what it really is. That's what it means, I think, for Christians to magnify God in Psalm 69, verse 30. You can't magnify what you haven't seen or what you quickly forget. And therefore, our first task has to be pray, open the eyes of my heart, preach, soul, forget not all the benefits of the Lord. And then we're started. But now suppose that you have done all that. You see and you have not forgotten the benefits of the Lord. You've seen his power and his mercy and his wisdom. Now the question is, what sort of response will magnify this greatness and this goodness 
better than any other response. And David answers, Psalm 69, verse 30, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. When we give thanks to God, God is magnified, shown to be great. Gratitude glorifies God. Why? Why does it? I think the answer is very simple. Givers are more glorious than receivers. Benefactors are more glorious than beneficiaries. When we thank God, we acknowledge and display that He is the giver. He is the benefactor. We pay Him a great compliment. When my sons are angry at each other, they do not say thank you to each other very easily. Karsten, say thank you to Benjamin. Thank you. Say you're welcome, Benjamin. You're welcome. And we all do that. Why? Because thanking somebody is paying them a great compliment. It's saying to them, you are magnified. You are my benefactor. I have benefited from what you've done. But when you're angry at somebody, you don't want to magnify them. You want to belittle them. So it's very hard when you're angry at somebody to say thank you, no matter how much good they've done for you. Therefore, when gratitude springs up in the human heart, God is magnified. We acknowledge him as giver, benefactor, wealthy source of all the good that has come our way. But when gratitude does not spring up in the heart, as when two people are angry at each other, it probably means we don't want to pay God that compliment. We do not want to say to God that you are great. We don't want to magnify God as our benefactor. And there is a very good reason why human beings by nature do not want to magnify God with thanksgiving or glorify him as their benefactor. And the reason is this. It detracts from their own glory. All people by nature love their own glory more than the glory of God. All people by nature love their own glory more than they love the glory of God. Psalm 35, verse 27, David says, Let those who desire my vindication shout for joy and be glad and say, The Lord be magnified. And then he shows another group, which is in contrast to this group in verse 26. And he says of them, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. There are only two groups of people in the world whose differences have any eternal significance. The group that loves to magnify God and the group that loves to magnify themselves. At the root of all ingratitude, horizontally and vertically, is a love 
for our own glory. For genuine gratitude admits, doesn't mind admitting, that I am an unworthy, undeserving beneficiary of mercy. I'm a cripple leaning with all my weight on the cross-shaped crutch of Jesus Christ. I'm a paralytic, moment by moment surviving in the iron lung of God's mercy. I'm a little helpless child asleep in the stroller of heaven. But the natural man hates those images. He hates them. He does not want to think of himself as an undeserving beneficiary of mercy. He doesn't want to see himself as a cripple. You heard that a hundred times from people. Well, you've just got a crutch. You write, I've got a crutch because I desperately need a crutch. They don't want to see themselves as paralytics. They don't want to see themselves as little children. And therefore, as long as they love their own glory and prize their own self-sufficiency and hate to think of themselves as sin-sick, helpless little children, they will never feel any genuine gratitude to God and therefore never magnify God, but only themselves. There is a very interesting, very interesting parallel between the text that we're looking at and Psalm 50 and 51. Our text continues on in verse 31 like this. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Now, why is that? Why, why does genuine heartfelt thanksgiving please God more than an expensive gift to him? Psalm 50 verses 9 through 14 suggest the answer. I will accept no bull from your house nor he-goat from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the air and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and all that is in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High." One of the reasons that God is not pleased with the offering of a bull or an ox or a goat is because apparently many of the people who were giving those gifts were presuming that by that gift they were enriching God. They were filling up or meeting some deficiency in the Almighty. What appears loving at the human level, namely helping each other and meeting each other's needs, is an insult to God's face. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. You can't give me a bull or a goat or an ox. They are already mine. So right here, right here at the center of our worship is human self-exaltation coming to the surface again. Even in his practice of religion, man will find a way to preserve his exalted status as giver and benefactor of God. In the very act of worship, he belittles God 
refusing to assume the lowly status of receiver, welfare, recipient, undeserving, helpless beneficiary of mercy. So God says to him, here's the antidote. Here's the antidote to self-exaltation. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Acknowledge God as the giver and the benefactor and assume the role of a lowly receiver. This is what magnifies the Lord. And that's why the last verse of the psalm says, Psalm 50, He who brings thanksgiving as a sacrifice honors me. So David, in Psalm 51, and here's the connection with Psalm 51, verse 17, says, you all know this verse, the sacrifice acceptable to God, and then in the place of thanksgiving, he puts, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. All he's doing there is showing the kind of heart from which alone the sacrifice of thanksgiving can come, isn't he? Until the stiffness of man's brass neck of arrogance is broken and the hardness of his self-sufficient heart is softened, man will not be able to give God any genuine thanksgiving and therefore will not magnify God but only magnify himself. The last verse of our text, verse 32, says, Let the oppressed see and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Even though what I've just said, namely, that if somebody is intent on maintaining their pride and their love for their own glory and their commitment to their own self-sufficiency, they can't give God thanksgiving. Even though that's bad news to such people, it's not bad news to the oppressed, is it? To those people who have come to the end of their rope and have fallen exhausted from pulling on their own bootstraps, to those people, it's good news, not bad news. What does God demand? What can the infinite, self-sufficient creator God demand from men when he already owns everything? He demands something very high. But it is not that we be high. It's that we be low in our own eyes so that he, might become high and great. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. It's not the well who need a physician. It's the sick. Jesus can't do anything for people who go on insisting that they are well. He demands something great, namely that we admit that we are not great. And that's bad news for the arrogant, but honey 
words of honey to those who have given up the charade of self-sufficiency and are seeking, like verse 32 says, seeking God. Because such people are going to be found by God and he's going to pour into their hearts more love than they could ever imagine and up out of their hearts freely, joyfully, spontaneously is going to well up a thanksgiving that is so great that people will see it and give glory to their Father who is in heaven. So I beseech you all by the mercies of God, clothe yourselves with humility. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the lowly. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due season he may exalt you. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I will sing the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits.